you have your Bibles, please open them to Ruth chapter 3. We will be looking at the entirety of Ruth chapter 3. The text is also printed for you on page 6 of the bulletin. Ruth chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and I'll throw the same uh, disclaimer I gave of last week. If you need to sit down, feel free at any point to sit down. It's not as long as last week, but still a little lengthy. Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See who is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than your first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So she laid his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment that you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city and when she came to her mother-in-law, he said, how did you fare? She said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. You may be seated, and as we do, let us together go to the Lord as we come to his word. Our Father God, we do come before you, not in our own strength, but by faith. Walking not in our own strength, but walking by sight in the hope that we have in our true Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And as we come now to your word, we pray that you would instruct us, that your spirit would work in us to make us more like Christ, to make us more willing and able to walk by your spirit. May the words of me, your preacher, be true and faithful. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As a kid, I remember watching reruns uh, with my dad of the 1980 television show, The A-Team. Some of you may remember the famous words that were uttered by the, the leader, John Hannibal Smith, in almost every episode, but not quite every episode. Where typically at the end, with a cigar in his mouth, he would typically say, I love it when a plan comes together. And while uncertainty remains as we get to the end of chapter 3 of Ruth, you can almost picture at the end of this chapter, Ruth, without the cigar, sitting back and saying, I love it when a plan comes together. Now, if you're familiar with the show, the A-Team's success 
of their planes was largely due to the team's ability to organize, to execute, and to also improvise. And as, as you're familiar with the show, luck was a very big part of their team's success. For Naomi, though, her plan's success was not tied to her. Sure, she had intentions, she had the blueprint, but she really had no idea how this was going to turn out. We know that behind the scenes, the Lord's providence is at work from beginning to end. But front and center, for all to see, and working in step with the providence of the Lord, is the righteous character of the main participants of Ruth and Boaz. Whether or not Naomi is truly walking by faith is up for debate. But for Ruth and for Boaz, we see there is no debate. Their faith is on display, and their faith is saturated in righteousness. We see in them that walking by faith also means walking in righteousness. Walking by faith also means walking in righteousness. Now, admittedly, if you see the points in the bulletin, the sovereignty of God is not one of my points. And please don't take that to mean I'm disregarding the sovereignty of God. I am not ignoring it. It is there. It is working. And in this case, we're going to see that it's actually working in concert. It's working harmoniously with the righteous character of both Ruth and Boaz. Hopefully we'll see that in the three points that are there for you in the, bull in the bulletin on page 8. First, the risky plan, the righteous proposal, and then finally the righteous promise. We start with the risky plan. To help secure a better and more stable future for Ruth, Naomi has a rather scandalous idea to get Ruth a husband. There is no questioning of Naomi's intentions here. They are good, they are noble. She wants what most of us who have kids want for our kids. She tells Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well for you. This request that she asks of Ruth is, is almost a verbatim repeat of her prayer back in chapter 1, verse 9. When she tells Orpah and Ruth to go back home, to go find rest in the house of your husband. No, Naomi is not suddenly tired of Ruth. Oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm still lugging around Ruth with me all this time. Ruth has proven herself to be a tremendous blessing to Naomi. You could argue that without Ruth, Naomi might not even be alive at this point. Naomi is simply being honest and considerate of her daughter-in-law. Ruth needs stability. Ruth needs security. Ruth needs a husband. And Naomi is convinced that Boaz is that husband. He has the family ties. He's a relative. He has shown himself already to be not only just kind and generous, but abundantly so. He is, as we looked at last week, that worthy man of moral excellence, of good standing. Boaz is special, and maybe, just maybe, he is so special that he will marry Ruth. And while her intentions are good, Naomi's tactics are extremely questionable at best. As a father of two daughters myself, who, one, who hopes that maybe one day they will seek husbands, let me say that Naomi's scheme strikes fear into me. 
No way am I going to tell one of my daughters to go out in the middle of the night to the threshing floor and go meet a man. Those words will never come from my lips. If you come and meet me in my office asking for counsel for your children, I'm never going to counsel you to lead your child in that direction. But more than that, what we actually see in Naomi is that the ways of Elimelech, they're still lingering. Instead of trusting and waiting on the Lord for Naomi and Boaz to come together, maybe in the field, maybe somewhere else around town, Naomi's going to do it her way. She's going to risk not so much anything for her, but the reputation and safety of her daughter in this arrangement. She's willing to make that gamble. Her plan almost comes in two parts. Part A we find in verses 2 and 3. Look at it with me. She says, see, behold, he, Boaz, is winnowing barley tonight on the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, anoint yourself, put on your cloak, go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known. Let me just give you the highlights of the plan. The threshing floor was where the men would go to both work and celebrate. They would often go in the evening because the evening breeze was much more pleasant than the hot breeze during the day. So as they threw the grain and the stalks into the air, the evening breeze would blow, the grain would fall, and the chaff would be carried off into the wind. But in some places, even some places in Israel, the threshing floors were also known for illicit behavior. Prostitutes might show up hoping to take advantage of the men who are both merry and satisfied. Then on top of that, washing and anointing were cleansing acts, typically reserved for two purposes. Either to prepare yourself for a wedding, or to prepare yourself for a sexual encounter. Not trying to be graphic here. What the washing and anointing was meant for. And then on top of that, Ruth is told to go alone. Go in secret. Don't be seen. Don't be known. Even if the plan were to stop right here, many of us would still be scratching our heads, wondering what exactly is Naomi hoping and intending is going to happen? Whatever it is, is it worth the risk of Ruth's honor as well as her safety? But Naomi's not done. There's a part B to the plan. It's found in verses 3 and 4. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Again, let me just offer the highlights. Every single one of those verbs, make known, lies, go in, uncover, lie down, they can be literal, or they can be euphemisms. I'll just leave it at that. It's impossible for us to know which Naomi intends for her daughter. But it certainly muddies the water just a little bit more. And then she instructs Naomi to do only what Boaz tells you to do. She says, go and be at his mercy. Put the ball in his court. And while we know that Boaz is certainly a worthy man, he is still a man with a corrupt nature, and history has told us again and again that even the most noble and worthy of men have fallen. With each and every instruction that Naomi gives, the tension you can feel it building. What if Boaz or someone else 
thinks that Ruth is trying to seduce him? What if Boaz accepts? Worse still, what if he rejects and sends Ruth home, disgraced, embarrassed? What if someone else finds Ruth before she gets to Boaz? What if the rumors start swirling of yet one more Moabite woman, women attempting to seduce yet one more Israelite man? You can see the potential for disaster and a devastating disaster for either Ruth or Boaz or both of them is incredibly high. The plan itself seems unwise at best and possibly even immoral. And in evaluating Naomi's plan, one commentator actually writes, in spite of Naomi's good intentions, we are faced with the question of whether Naomi is being manipulative. manipulative. Naomi seems willing to slacken I am's law. She may be operating by faith, but it's a flawed faith. It is willing to compromise in the name of whatever works. It is self-trusting. If I can manipulate the details, if I can arrange the perfect setting, we'll get the result that we want. It's even ignoring or seeking a way around what is right, what is good, what is true. For us, we need to be reminded that walking by faith is not playing with fire to see if we'll get burned. It's not compromising the truth or godliness in the name of love for or best intentions of another. And yet, how often do we see that at work in our own day? How much do we see it sometimes at work in our own hearts? As we desperately want what is best for those that we love, for those that we care for, whether that best be the physical best or spiritual best. How often are we willing to compromise, to push the envelope? No, walking by faith is, as we heard earlier read for us from Galatians 5, walking by the Spirit so that we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It is, as we profess from Titus 2, renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions and living self-controlled, ungodly lives in this present age. May we not be like Naomi, willing to manipulate or even compromise, even if the end goal is a good and noble one. The truth is, Naomi's plan works in spite of her, not because of her. And we would be foolish if we were to follow her risky lead, no matter how good our intentions might be. This leads us then from the risky plan to the righteous proposal. To her credit, Ruth goes along with Naomi's plan, but to a certain point. She may be willing to put her reputation on the line, but not her character. The plan may suggest compromise, but Ruth is unwilling to compromise. Now, as we read verses 6 through 8, I won't read them right now, but they they dial up the tension even more because it appears as though Ruth follows everything that Naomi does step by step. She makes herself presentable. She heads out. She watches. She waits. She uncovers. And then she watches again, possibly even falls asleep. And then when a groggy and cold Boaz wakes up to find Ruth at his feet, at his feet, let me make that clear, 
She's at his feet. Ruth speaks, which is where she breaks from Naomi's instructions. Naomi's instructions were don't speak. You let Boaz speak, and you do what he tells you. Naomi says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. We as 21st century Christians may be wondering, what is Ruth saying to Boaz? But for anyone in that time period, anyone reading this, whether Israelite or not, knows that Ruth is making a very clear and deliberate declaration. There's no ambiguity. There's no fogginess. There's no cloudiness. Spread your wings can also mean spread the corner of your garment. And in the Near Eastern customs, that was an idiom for marriage. The Lord would use the same language in Ezekiel 16 to describe his relationship with his people. When he says, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness, I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you. The act of spreading a garment over someone is the establishment of a new relationship and the symbolic declaration of the husband to provide for the sustenance of the future wife. And if you'll note, it's also Ruth using Boaz's earlier words in chapter 2 to ask him to now spread his wings over her security and her rest. And so in terms of our modern sensibilities, what Ruth is doing, she's getting down on one knee, she's pulling out the ring, and she's asking Boaz, would you marry me? She's saying, I'm not here for passion, I'm here for provision. And that right there is actually the true scandal of this whole scene. It's not the what happened. It's not the ambiguity of Naomi's instructions. It is the fact that Ruth is proposing to Boaz. Asking for his hand in marriage. In his commentary, Daniel Block writes, Ruth is the lowly servant proposing to the master. She is the uninvited visitor on his turf. She is the woman. He is the man. She is a foreigner, and he is a native. Ruth's proposal, while certainly forward and to the point, was just as massive of a risk as Naomi's vague and potentially manipulative claim. She could have been laughed at and sent home by Boaz. He could have said, are you kidding me? Go home. And she would have again walked home in shame. And she also had no reason to expect that Boaz would accept her proposal. Because while he certainly is a redeemer, there was another. And actually in this specific scenario, no one is under any obligation to actually fulfill the role of kinsman redeemer. Because she's a foreigner. It's totally up to this redeemer and Boaz whether to accept the invitation. But unlike Naomi, Ruth is not leaving anything up to manipulation or vagueness or nuance. She makes her bold request and accepts whatever the results are. And while her proposal is bold, it also points to her righteous character. Ruth does not compromise at any point in this scene. Her integrity remains intact from the beginning to the end. We see her respectfully obey her mother-in-law's commands to 
a point. We see her acting decently, not seductively, with Boaz. She has no desire or intent to scandalize him. And then when Boaz speaks, she speaks equally with clarity and humility. Nothing in her speech or her actions suggests or hints at immorality, indecency, or any inappropriate behavior. Her actions take all the euphemisms that were in Naomi's words and tosses them like chaff in the wind. And Boaz's response in verse 10 proves her righteous character. He praises her. Listen to what he says. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last great kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. For the second time in as many chapters, Boaz praises Ruth. For the second time in as many chapters, he pronounces Yahweh's blessings over Ruth. With that one sentence, all the tension that's been building is gone. Ruth is commended. She's proven herself righteous. Boaz even calls her a worthy woman. The same adjective that's been used to describe him as a worthy, morally excellent man. And why does he do so? Because Ruth has not thought of herself in this entire encounter. In proposing to the superior, to the native, she's actually being considerate once more of Naomi. She's doing this not out of love for herself, but of love for her mother-in-law, as well as her mother-in-law's deceased family. See, just as Boaz is not obligated to fulfill the role of redeemer, Ruth is not obligated to pursue Boaz. She could have chosen to marry the first young man who showed any signs of romantic interest in her. Or she could have chosen the first young rich man to show any signs of attraction in her. But instead of choosing one of these two scenarios centered on her, my happiness, my pleasure, my security, instead of being like a Disney princess following the pathway of her heart, she chooses what's ultimately best for Naomi and her family by proposing to one who is able to redeem them. She traded any desires that she had for the good and the well-being of Naomi. She sacrificed what may have been in her own self-interest for the interest of another. And so Ruth's character here demands that we examine our own. But it also calls us to consider the question, what are you and I willing to risk for the sake of righteousness? Jesus called his followers to risk it all in places like Mark 10, 29 and 30. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers, sisters, mother, father, children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive hundredfold now in this time with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Are we willing? No, we're not going to be risking our reputations by going out in the middle of the night to the threshing floor. Hopefully not. I don't even know where you might find a threshing floor. But we may risk them by sharing our faith with those around us. 
We may risk them and much more by standing firm on what is true, on what is good, on what is righteous, on what is holy. In a culture that is more and more telling us to toss all that stuff aside. We may even risk them by putting the needs and desires of others before the needs and desires of ourselves. The righteous character of Ruth showed her willingness to risk it all. And may you and I be so bold and so willing to let our faith be evident in our righteousness and are willing to risk it all for the sake of what is good and righteous and true. This then leads us to our third point. A righteous promise. Just as we see Ruth high in character, we also see Boaz. To his credit, and as a demonstration of his righteous character, Boaz promises to take care of Ruth. Right after he blesses her, he assures her of his commitment in verse 11. And now my daughter, again, easing the tension. Do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. What a relief. You could probably almost sense Ruth, just all the tension, anxiety just dissipating with those, now my daughter, fear not. Her righteous character has met its match in the righteous character of Boaz. And again, Boaz is not obligated to redeem Ruth. Ian Duguid explains it this way. When Ruth was asking Boaz to do, though, was to act according to the spirit of the law of the kinsman redeemer, even though he was not under any legal obligation, she appealed to him to be the family member who, at his own cost, would act to rescue those whose future had been blighted, even though he didn't have to do so. And this is also what makes Ruth's proposal such a massive risk. It's going to cost Boaz something to say yes. It's actually going to cost him more to say yes than it is to say no. And as a worthy man, Boaz proves himself ready and willing to assume the cost, whatever financial, social cost, to welcome this foreigner, not to a feast, as we saw last week, but into his family. Who in the world would assume such a cost? Who would willingly agree to this kind of deal? Hopefully you can see where I'm going with this. Hopefully you can hear and see yet again in Boaz, not just righteous character, but our great Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Because once again, here in chapter 3, when we look at Boaz, we should see Jesus. He was the righteous one who was under no such obligation to assume the cost to redeem sinful outsiders like you and like me. And yet he willingly did by being despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, by offering his own life as the cost to bring us into his family. And because he did so, he now covers us. No, not with his garment. As wonderful as that would be, he covers us with his very righteousness. So that we would not be shamed. So that we would not be condemned. So that we could stand righteous in God's sight. Despite being sinful outsiders. 
And Jesus is the one under whose wings we not only find delight, but we find the steadfast covenant of God, covenant love of God for us. And it is this love that then ultimately motivates us and strengthens us to go and to live sacrificially righteous life, lives. It is his love, not our will or our desire, that empowers us to do what we heard earlier, to walk in step with the Spirit. So do you know his love this morning? If you don't, would you cry out to him in faith and repentance and ask him to pour it out on you in Christ? And if you do know his love this morning, are you reveling in it? Are you rejoicing in it? Are you finding your soul's delight, not in the things of this world, but in the love your Redeemer has for you? Are you responding to it day after day by seeking to live more righteously and then throwing yourself upon his mercy when you failed to do so? Go back to Boaz. We see, unfortunately, that the tension relief is very short-lived. Because right after relieving her, he offers a crushing blow. Not intentionally, not mean-spirited, when he says, there is a redeemer nearer than I. Talk about crushing. That it took everything in Naomi's strength to stay there and not to turn around and run home in tears. But again, this points to the revelation that there is another points back to Boaz's character. Unlike Naomi, he's not willing to cut corners. He's not willing to sidestep the law. He is steadfast. For think about it, how easy could it have been to him to just say, we'll just keep this between you and me. This guy doesn't have to know. No one has to know. No one knows we're here. We could make a deal to get married and just leave it at that. What this random Israelite relative doesn't know doesn't hurt him, right? But no, we see that Boaz is going to follow the law and give this man his rightful claim. He says, if he is not willing, literally, if he is not delighted to redeem you, I will do it. And so even with this crushing news in revealing his high character, Boaz makes a promise. He's not going to rest until this matter is settled. He's going to see it through one way or another. Ruth is going to end this story redeemed. Her future is going to be secure and certain. And he gives her two things as a sign of a promise. First, he protects her character and her honor by sending her away in the quiet of the night. He says, let it be known not, or let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Boaz says, there's going to be no scandal. The, the rumor mill is not even going to start swirling. She's going to make it home with her integrity and her character intact. And he's going to send her home with a gift. One more gift. Not primarily for her, though. This gift is actually more for Naomi. It's a token of his good faith in promising, in fulfilling his promise to protect Ruth, but also to provide for Naomi, his relative. We see he measures out six measures of barley, puts it on Ruth, sends her home. And Ruth says, he told me I couldn't go home empty-handed. And again, this is a substantial amount. 
It could be anywhere from 18 pounds to 100 pounds. I'm going to guess it's more towards the 18 pounds because as strong as Ruth may be, 100 pounds is a lot of barley to carry home. But either way, it serves as a promise as well as a testament to his righteous character. Naomi and Ruth have nothing to fear, have nothing to worry. So even while chapter 3 may end on this cliffhanger, and even with a little touch of disappointment, it does not end without hope. There will be redemption for Ruth, as well as Naomi. Boaz has promised her that much. And as a man of righteous character, he's going to see through this promise. And so whether you are here this morning, man or woman, it is good and right for us, and we would be do well to emulate Boaz. Be people true to your word. Make a promise, stick to it. Be those who are quick and eager to both bless and to cur- encourage another. Be generous with your time, your money, or the resources that God has so richly blessed you with. And maybe most poignantly in the culture that we live in, live wisely. Not given over to your passions, your desires. But to the passions and the desires of the spirit who God has given to you and promises to be powerfully working in you to bear not the fruit of the flesh, but the fruit of the spirit. And at the end of the day, we are all a little bit like John Hannibal Smith. We may not say it, but we certainly love it when a plan comes together. Again, Naomi's plan worked. The wheels are in motion, as we'll see next week, for her and Ruth's redemption. There is both a literal and figurative new day dawning for these two women. However, Naomi does not have herself to thank. But rather the sovereign providence of God working in spite of her planning and working through her daughter-in-law, and her relative's character. Ruth and Boaz, humanly speaking, deserve the credit for this plan coming together. They were the ones who ventured out in true faith. They were the ones who walked in righteousness. They were the ones who ultimately submitted themselves to and trusted the Lord in his promises, not trying to manipulate, not trying to control the circumstances. And may these two saints, however, not merely point us to them, but again, may they ultimately point us to Jesus, who himself lived by faith, not at the expense of or the detriment to righteousness, but in order to fulfill righteousness. For with him we know there was never trace or stain of sin, even as he endured the things that we endure to this day. Because of him, we can find strength to pursue righteousness to be men of women of character and then fall on his mercy and forgiveness when we fail. In Christ, may we learn and trust that walking by faith also means walking in righteousness. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus, our great redeemer. We pray that we would follow his example of walking by faith, not by sight, but walking in righteousness seeking to live a life pleasing to you, to the glory of you. May we as his disciples be just as faithful. Help us to be like Boaz and Ruth. But even more so, help us to be like Christ. 
to rest in his strength, to rest in his love for us, to rest in his strength and power that he has so abundantly poured out upon us by your spirit. Be pleased to work in and through us to the glory of your name, to the building of your church, to the declaration that there is a redeemer and he is none other than Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.